It was 1980 in the fall. It had been an eventful year in my life. Earlier that spring, I graduated from college in July or in June. I had promised my mother that I would not get married until I completed my degree. So we graduated the third week in June and got married the third week in July. And then I started seminary. And then I began working at a church here in Anderson. And it was an eventful time in the city of Anderson. Unemployment was at 21%. Some of you would not believe that, but it was 21% unemployment here. The General Motors factories had begun to to cut back and shut down and lay off. They were selling T-shirts at Anderson that said, with the last one out of Anderson, please turn off the lights. It was not a good time. I'd grown up in a Church of God pastor's home and um, in a part of the Church of God where we didn't dance and we didn't smoke and we didn't chew, we didn't, we didn't kiss the girls who did, um, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And we didn't go to movies. Um, we, we just, I had not grown up going to movies. I went to my first movie as a high school student uh, when my, my mother, my father overcame my mother's objections and they allowed me to go to a movie with some friends. First movie I ever saw in a theater was uh, James Bond, Live and Let Die. Uh, that was a cool one, all right? And, and then I had never in my life gone to a drive-in theater. I had heard about them. I had seen TV shows about them, but I had never gone to one. Now, my wife, Becky, was, she was from a, a liberal church of God in St. Louis, and, and her family took her to the drive-in theater uh, to see Disney films when she was a kid. And so in the fall of 1980, uh, just north of Anderson here, there was a drive-in theater. Now, uh, that, that kind of institution doesn't exist a whole lot anymore. But in that particular time frame, they would show the movies that had been first run earlier in the year at the drive-in theater a little later on. So in the fall of 1980, Becky and I went to a drive-in. It was time for me. I was entering seminary. It's time for me to expand my horizons and go to a drive-in to see what this sinful, hedonistic place really was all about. And so Becky and I drove out, and we, we drove our car in, and, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, it, it's Madison County, right? And people are coming in, and they're, and, and, and they're in their pickup trucks, and they've got lawn chairs. They're turning their pickup trucks around so that they can set their lawn chairs in the back of the pickup truck and watch the movie. It's a beautiful fall night in Madison County, and the movie we're there to see is Rocky II. And, and I figured, I mean, it's a boxing movie. I'd, I had already by this time seen Rocky One. It was actually kind of coming on TV by that time. And so we went, and we sat there, and I watched, and I angst with the struggle of the fighter as he's trying to get, as he's trying to get himself back to a place where he can beat the man who's beaten him, a guy who, the actor was known as Mr. T. His name in that movie was Clubber. Uh, I'm like, you know, now that's a boxer's name, right? I just club you to death, right? And, and so I'm watching this movie. Now, here's what happens, though. Here's what I remember. I'm in Madison County. It's 1980. Unemployment is at 20%. There's a huge, huge, it's the fall. There's a huge political battle going on. A president named Jimmy Carter had actually been a part of trying to tell the nation that the response to an oil embargo was wear a sweater, all right? Turn your your thermostat down and wear a sweater, 
okay? And Ronald Reagan, who had been like a cowboy Rocky uh, in the old B movies, he's, he's telling everybody, no, we can do better than this. And here, everybody's discouraged. Everybody's trying to figure out what's going to happen. More people are drawing unemployment than at any other time in the history of this county. And, and we're sitting at a, a drive-in movie theater watching this movie about, about a fighter who's an underdog. And he's lost his championship. And now he's trying to get it back. And, and when the, the movie reached its climax, when Rocky comes back and he's beating Clubber up, and he is just pounding on him. Suddenly, car horns start honking. People are standing up in the back of their pickup truck. They're waving their arms and they're yelling for as if he could hear them on the screen. And I'm, and I'm sitting there with my new bride and she's thinking, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. I'm thinking, well, this isn't so bad. I kind of like this place, you know. I tell you that story because I honestly think there are some circumstances we're living through right now in this pandemic that put us in the same kind of place all those people were at that drive-in theater 40-plus years ago now. It's a place where we're tired. We're fatigued. And we're fearful. We, we don't know exactly what's going on. The last six weeks, um, I've, I've begun to venture out of my cocoon here, okay? I've, I've gotten on, and I still remember getting on an airplane for the first time after the pandemic. And even though it was a Delta flight, and at that time, the, the, they were not putting anybody in the middle seat, I, I, I remember getting on the plane with Becky. We had a road to ourselves. We still sat with a seat between us, and we'd been quarantined together the whole time. I remember being the anxiety as I'm watching people, you know, somebody sneeze and you're like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch COVID. I, I've, in the last six or eight weeks, I've had conversations in person and through meetings and Zoom calls and phone calls with pastors, church of God, non-church of God, small church, big church, all over the country, from the deep south. The West Coast, I remember one pastor who spent his entire life planting a church and watching it grow and reaching out to people in Georgia. And, and, and I remember him with tears looking and going, I have no idea what's going to be there when we come back. Folks, this was four weeks ago. They were having their very first on-campus service. He's like, I've given my life to this. I, I don't know what's going to happen can we even survive? Will my church that I poured my life into, will it even be there? And I remember watching four or five other pastors in the room nod their heads and realizing, you know what? This, this doesn't feel good. Coming out of a pandemic, how, how, do, how do we do that? And will we even, some are actually wondering, will we ever even come out? Some of you are still watching online. Some of you are on campus. Some of you are venturing into some places. But, but the anxiety is there. The fear is there. Just like when you live in a town where they tell you, with the last one out of town, please turn off the lights. When jobs that had been there for generations go away. 
during the 2008 recession, I remember saying to this congregation from this platform, well, from the old platform, hey, the rest of the country just caught up with Anderson. They're looking to us to figure out how do you negotiate this. And my friends, I believe that the way we come out of the pandemic is to come out swinging. Not come out swinging with hatred, not to come out swinging with anger, anger but, but to come out swinging as the people of God who are coming out understanding that God has called us. God has uniquely called us to be his people. The early church didn't live in a time when all the institutions of society were supportive of what they were doing. In fact, we're going to read a text today that talks about how Christians became refugees in the first century. We're going we're to see a, a text today about how the Apostle Paul had to work through his own fear, his own anxiety, in a time frame where, where people, people weren't embracing Christianity because it was the common cultural tradition. No, no, no. That's not how this thing started. And it's not how it's going to be today. The story I mentioned is in the book of Acts. It's in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. Now, some of you who've been listening every week online or, or joining us on, on campus, you, you're wondering, Pastor, you know there are 26 other books uh, in the New Testament besides the book of Acts. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. But, but you know what? Um, we, we were called. When the pandemic started, I had a distinct call from God to scratch everything else I had learned everything else I'd planned, and to dive into this book. And this series, Come Out Swinging, it will be the, the final part of this book about the life of the early church. And in Acts chapter 18, we find the Apostle Paul in an interesting scenario. Most of the time, Paul travels with his band of brothers, if you would, with Silas and Timothy and on this missionary journey, and Luke and some others who had come alongside of him. But if you remember, he had already been run out of several towns. In fact, the people from Thessalonica had actually traveled to Berea to try to, to run him out there and, and to oppose him. And, and so he ends up in Athens where we, we found this amazing opportunity he had to talk to people who had no concept about Jesus. But after Athens, he travels, get this, by himself down to a place called Corinth. Listen to the story. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius, the Roman emperor at the time, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. And Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks about Jesus. When Silas and Timothy arrived in Corinth from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Jews. 
And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Now I want to stop right there for just a minute and talk about what's going on in Corinth and how I think it correlates to what's going on in our world today. Because you see, here's Paul. He's been run out of Thessalonica. He's been run out of Berea. He had been jailed in Philippi, falsely accused, beaten. All of these things had happened to him. And now here he is, having preached in Athens at the Areopagus, the, 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 the seat of intellect, and their reaction was, oh, we'll hear more about you. We'll hear more from you. But we never hear any record of them hearing more from him. And then he comes down to this place called Corinth. And, and it's in that place that, that I want you to see how God begins to teach Paul to live beyond fear. See, look, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, he talked to him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I'm with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now here's what I want you to get. Why would, why would Jesus, why would the Lord appear to Paul in a vision and tell him not to be afraid if Paul wasn't afraid? It's, it's, it's okay to be afraid. I'm not one of these people who, who, who tries to tell people, oh, you should never be afraid. No, 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 no. God wired you in such a way that when you face unknown things, when you face unpredictable things, when you, when you face that word we all hate, unprecedented things, it's okay to be afraid. But you can't let the fear dominate you. Paul, Paul discovered some amazing things. See, he discovered that you can live beyond fear because, because God, God, God's got other people he puts in your life. You can live beyond fear because you are not alone. Did you catch it when I read it? Here's Paul, run out of three towns, having not had much success in Athens, coming into Corinth, and, and what happens? He's alone, he's by himself, so he finds Aquila and Priscilla. They're tent makers. Now, now that word tent maker, the translation doesn't mean like he made canvas tents. He, he actually was more of a leather worker. They made the tents out of animal hides. And this was a trade that he had learned early on in his life. And Priscilla and Aquila had that same background. They were Jewish. They were also followers of Jesus. Because here's what Luke doesn't tell us, that history does. See, the, the reason the emperor had run all the Jews out of, out of Rome, out of Italy, the reason Claudius had issued that edict, you're going to love this, is because some Christians had gotten to Rome with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And they had begun sharing with Jewish people in Rome, just like Paul always started in the synagogue. It wasn't Paul who had gotten there. There were some other followers of Jesus. People, we don't even know their name. But they arrived in Rome and they began to teach Jewish people that the Messiah had come. His name was Jesus. He was from Nazareth. He had taught and done miracles. He had been crucified. He died. On the third day, he resurrected. He was alive. The Messiah was alive and the kingdom of God was at hand. And they began to share that with the Jewish people in Rome. And the people in Rome who were Jewish reacted with such violence, reacted with such anger that it caused so much uproar in the city of Rome that the Roman emperor just looked at him and said, all you Jewish people have to leave Rome. All of you have to leave. Christians and Jews alike. And so people like Paul, who were Jewish background, Roman citizens, but Christians who followed Jesus had to leave as well. So here's... Priscilla and Aquila from the same background, the same trade, and they end up in Corinth. Now, we don't know for sure if if Paul had heard something about them being there. We don't know if they'd ever even met before. What we do know is this. When Paul was alone, when Timothy and Silas and Luke were not with him in Corinth, God was with him, and God had put people there to be with him. You see, you can live beyond your fears because you You're never going to be alone. He's got people to be with you. On that flight that I was talking to you about, Becky and I flew. And then a couple of weeks later, I got on another airplane to go to a meeting, my first official church meeting after after COVID had hit the country. I got on now thinking, hey, I can do this. They'll seat people every other seat. It'll be safe. No, no, no. It wasn't a Delta flight. It was a United flight. They put people in every seat in that plane. And they put me in a middle seat. And I was scared to death. And I flew out to the meeting. Actually, it was a meeting about the Global Leadership Summit that we're going to be hosting that you saw a video about earlier. It was a meeting that was held at my friend Marty Grubbs' church in Oklahoma City and at Craig Rochelle's church. Craig and, and Marty are, are colleagues in ministry in Oklahoma City, and, and they were hosting this event. And, and so it was a wonderful event, and they, several, a couple of hundred pastors, and it was about what we're going to be hosting here on August 5th and 6th and, and some training in that and, and, and some opportunity for fellowship. And, and so I get on this, on this plane to come home. Again, it's a United flight. It's packed. And I'm nervous. And I don't know if you've tried to travel much since COVID. I don't know if you've flown much. But in those first few weeks, as, as airlines began to fly more flights, flights were being delayed, and people were missing flights, and planes weren't showing up. And, and let's just say I got stuck in a layover. And they said, no, you have time to go eat. But then I'm eating at a restaurant in the airport in Dallas, and, and, and the waiter comes up to me and says, uh, Mr., aren't you on such and such a flight? Yeah, they just changed your gate. It leaves in 10 minutes. You can make it if you run. So I'm running to the gate, and I notice this young couple running with me, and, and, I, and I'm looking over at them, and, and, and they're looking at me, and finally the, the, the young lady says, you look familiar. 
I said, well, I think we were just in the same meeting up in Oklahoma City, and I was on this flight, and we're going back to Indianapolis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well wait, but you look more familiar than that. I'm like, okay. And she says, what's your name? I said, my name's Carrie Robinson. I'm the, I'm the pastor at Eastside Church. Just as we got to the gate, she stopped. She looked at her husband. She goes, he was our pastor when we were in college. I'm like, oh, you went to Anderson University? No, we went to Taylor, but we drove to Anderson to the, for the restaurants all the time. You never met us. I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling better now. All right. When we arrived in Indianapolis, and thankfully all of our bags arrived, and we had to pick them up at the baggage carousel and all of that, we're standing there waiting on our bags, and the young man says to me, who, by the way, is a, an executive pastor at one of the larger churches on the west side of Indianapolis, said to me, um, hey, Pastor Kerry, my wife and I were talking on the flight. We're really glad that our planes got delayed and we got a chance to talk to you. God's done so much in our life since we were college kids, and, and East Side and you were a part of the formation for that. And we just want to say thanks. I got to tell you something. It was a Priscilla and Aquila moment for me. It was one of those moments where I realized, you know what, friends? What we do here impacts the world. What we do here makes a lasting impact forever. And we're not alone. Listen to me. Coming out of this pandemic, I know, I know there's anxiety. I know there's fear. That's okay. But we have to live beyond the fear. Because God has, God has promised us. That just like he provided Priscilla and Aquila as a relational support for Paul in Corinth, gave him a way to make a living, gave him a way to enter into the synagogue, gave him a way to do the things he needs to do, I, I, I want you to know that, that God is doing that for you. You are not alone. Even if you're listening to us today and you haven't, you, you, you haven't begun to venture out or, or if you've ventured out and it felt too scary or if you've had COVID or if, if your family is struggling with the loss, if, if you're here today and you're all by yourself, you're not by yourself. And what Jesus wants to say to you is that even if you're a refugee like Paul, like Priscilla and Aquila, and you're in a foreign place, you need to know there are people there that God has placed there. And he wants you to know you don't have to be afraid because you're not alone. Not at all. And listen to what he said. Listen to the, to the words that God said to Paul in the midst of his fear. Look at them. They start in verse 9, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. You see, it's not that you're not alone just because God has some Priscilla's and Aquila's for you. You're not alone because God himself is with you. God himself is with you. And he will never leave you. 
He will never forsake you. He will place people around you, but, but he himself will be with you even in the 2 a.m. meltdowns, even in the crisis moments of your life. He will always be with you. The question is, will you be with him? See, you can live beyond fear not just because there are other people who share your misery. <laughs> you can live beyond fear, not just because there are other people who have things in common with you. No, no, you can live beyond fear because God himself is with you. Uh, the scriptures tell it to us like this. There is no way you can be tempted that Jesus wasn't tempted. There is no way you can face pain that Jesus didn't face. What, what the scripture actually says is he was tempted in every way, but sin not. You see, that's the whole beauty of coming out swinging. That's the whole beauty of coming out of this pandemic, trusting a God who has never abandoned us, who has never left us, who will always be there for us, who has other people placed in our path to encourage us, to cry with us, to laugh with us question with us. You are not alone because God himself is also right there with you. And he will never leave you. So I know there's a Delta variant. I know some of you are anxious about vaccines. I, I know that there's a whole cultural question. I know we're watching the first ever Olympics without a crowd. Can I tell you something? God is not unaware. And God is at work. God is up to something. There's something God's going to do. And here's the most amazing thing. You see, it's not just that you can overcome your fear, live beyond your fear because you're not alone. And it's not just that you live beyond the fear because Jesus promised to always be with you. you know, listen, he actually has people, people who will impact your life, people, get this, that you don't know yet. God has people. People whose path will cross your path. People whose thoughts will intersect with your thoughts. People whose life will impact your life. And you think you know everybody who can be there for you, but he has people you don't even know and some of them are the strangest people to help you. Listen to what happened to Paul. I read it for you. The vision comes. And he stays a year and six months teaching the word of God among the Corinthians. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the region where Corinth was, the Jews made a unified attack on Paul. Somebody told them somewhere, here they came again. This Paul's down here teaching about Jesus. And they brought him up before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Don't you think Paul is sitting, he's going, okay, look, well, I've done this in Thessalonica. I've done this in Berea. I, I, I've had this, okay, here we go again. Okay, God. I told you I'd go with you all the way, but this is getting a little redundant, all right? 
And he's expecting. He's ready. He's about to open his mouth. Listen to the story. I love this. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, when he's about to make his defense, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own Jewish laws, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And Gallio drove them from the tribunal. Basically, he kicked the Jewish accusers out. And they all seized Sothenus. I love this. Seized Sothenus, the ruler of the synagogue, the one who basically led them into the tribunal. The Jews turned on their own leader and beat him up in front of the tribunal. But Galileo, Galileo paid no attention to them. You say, Pastor, why are you excited about that story? Because the last person on the earth that Paul thought would be there to help him live beyond his fear was Galileo. Do you know who Galileo was? Oh, yeah, well, Pastor, it says he was the proconsul of Achaia. No, 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 no. He was a Roman elite. Have you ever heard of the Roman philosopher and playwright Seneca? In your studies in school, Google him sometime. You'll understand, Seneca was, was one of the most revered thought makers in Rome. And he was Gallio's brother. And he made a statement about Gallio, his brother. That Gallio was, was such an amazing leader. Here's what he said. He said that no person is as charming to one individual as my brother Gallio is to an entire crowd. Gallio was a leader among leaders. He was a Roman leader, a thinker, a man of elite status. He's the least likely guy to help a Jewish converted to Christianity teacher like Paul. But God put him in that place. When God said, hey, I have people here you don't even know about, Paul. Gallio was one of them. And what I want you to know is, there's somebody just like Gallio for you. God is at work in people you don't even know. Friends, please quit all the hand-wringing about how the church is you know, going to be so broken by the pandemic. A pandemic can't break the kingdom of God. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are members of the kingdom of God. And as members of the kingdom of God, it's our calling, forgive me, to come out swinging. Now, I don't think it'll be like Rocky with Clubber. And I'm not expecting pickup trucks and lawn chairs and hand waving and stomping and horns honking. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. What I'm talking about is the overarching power of the love of the kingdom of God. The acknowledgement, the understanding that we can rest in Jesus, because, to quote our culture, God's got this. God's got this. He's already put people in your life. You're not alone, even when you feel alone. He's there with you. Never will he leave you or forsake you.
And some of the people he's going to use make absolutely no sense to you. Can you imagine, Paul? We don't hear it. Luke doesn't read it. I, I just think there was, there was this dinner that night where Paul, Paul is now sitting around with Timothy and Silas because they're there with him in Corinth now. And, and they're sitting there and he goes, guys, did y'all see that? That Roman guy, Gallio, the proconsul. I didn't even have to speak up. But can I tell you the real power of the kingdom of God? Many years later, Paul would write a letter. It's in our New Testament called 1 Corinthians. He would write it to the church in Corinth. And in the very first verse of that letter, in the greeting of that letter, check me this afternoon. He, he says, I, Paul... And Sosthenes, one of your brothers. Sosthenes was the ruler of the synagogue who took him before the tribunal who was beaten by his own Jewish friends for failing to accomplish the mission. I, Paul, and your brother Sosthenes write this to you. You see, the man who got beat up the man who opposed Paul became his brother in Christ. My friends, we're being called to live beyond our fear because God is at work and he is going to change the world if we will let him change us. Even, even when we're broken and hurting, 